Picture this. What happens when mom and dad are in one of those 15,000 nursing homes or 66,000 long-term care facilities? That's a lot. And when all hell breaks loose, who do you turn to for help? Stay tuned. You'll find out more in this next episode. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your M.O. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight. There is a better road ahead. Hey, everybody. This is Nancy May from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. And my guest here today is Carol Scott, who is a healthcare leader with more than 32 years experience advocating for seniors. She is currently the manager or the senior manager for the Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program and Policy for the National Ombudsman Resource Center out of Washington, D.C. There she's working both on the state and local level to help those of us who are taking care of our parents that are also residing in long-term care facilities. Before that, Carol was in field operations for the Advancing Excellence in America's Nursing Home Campaign. There, she was responsible for guiding stakeholder coalitions in all 50 states where she actually helped the nursing homes become a better place to live, work, and visit. Carol has been involved in this industry for a long period of time, and we are fortunate to have her here. What I love more than anything is that Carol is an advocate, a diehard advocate, For those of us taking care of mom and dad or a spouse or anybody who might be infirmed in a care facility, be it a nursing home, a rehab facility, or a long-term care facility, and she gets us. Every show is special, and this one I'm, I'm particularly interested in because it is dealing with the ombudsman program and, more importantly, what's going on in our aging care communities for our parents, for our relatives, for anybody that we love or taking care of, a spouse it could even be a sibling. But there's been a lot of outrage in what's happening in the industry right now, quietly sort of rumbling underneath the, I'll say the covers. And Carol is a healthcare leader with over 32 years of experience as an advocate working at both the national and state levels. She's currently the manager of the Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program and Policy for the National Ombudsman Resource Center. Well, that's a mouthful, right? (laughs) She provides both technical assistance to state and local ombudsmen across the country, as well as analyzing what's going on in the industry and then how to make our healthcare nursing care systems and facilities, as well as extended care programs, better for everybody. It's a lot that's going on out there. You may or may not have heard some of the statistics on changes that are happening or maybe not happening fast enough. And quite frankly, we're never really aware of what's going on until we are are like smack dab in the middle of it and it hits it right between the eyeballs. So in order to that not happen, that's why we have Carol here today. So Carol, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate this. Well, you are more than welcome and I'm thrilled to try to provide at least a nugget of information that might be helpful to the people who are who are listening to this. Oh, I think you're going to give me a lot more than a nugget of information. I think it's going to probably be a, a giant boulder and maybe a mountainside. Ooh, I-, I think we're probably going to do two of these shows later on, right? <laughs> <laughs> as many as you want. That's great. First of all, you are also working with the the Consumer Voice organization. Can you tell me a little bit about Consumer Voice and how that relates to the Ombudsman Resource Center? Absolutely. So Consumer Voice is a national nonprofit that's been around 40 plus years. They are a membership organization. So people pay yearly dues, whether they are a individual or an organization like the Ombudsman Program across the country. Many of them belong, but family members, residents, uh, they don't pay any membership. They Get their membership for free. But the organization is based out of Washington, D.C., and they look at policies and procedures that are coming out of Congress or out of governmental federal organizations like the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid that run the Medicare and Medicaid programs and oversee nursing homes across the country. So that organization 
has received the the funding from the Administration for Community Living, which is part of the De- Federal Department of Health and Human Services. They Federal Department of Health and Human Services puts out a grant request every three or five years, and Consumer Voice, along with the Advancing States, which is a national organization made up of the state unit on aging in every state. They're their kind of professional organization. So Advancing States and Consumer Voice have received this grant funding since the very beginning. So there are three of us who work in the National Ombudsman Resource Center. We are all employees of Consumer Voice, but we have kind of a wall that goes up. Since we are federally funded, we don't do policy work in that we don't talk to legislators or talk to uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. That's the job of the Consumer, yeah, Consumer Voice, Voice organization, right? right? So okay. they, they're right. the ones that are that do that. So, And my job is 100% out of the federal funding. So my job is to provide technical assistance and training to long-term care ombudsmen. Although in order to do that, I obviously have to know what what are the policies and procedures? What's sure. being changed? What's you know what's coming down the pike? What are the what are the issues and problems? But I will say at the very beginning here that the word ombudsman means someone who speaks on behalf of another. So we are an advocate ombudsman. There are all kinds of ombudsmen. Uh, there are ombudsmen for cities. There are ombudsmen for corporations, and those people tend to be neutral. In our advocacy ombudsman for long-term care, we are advocates for the resident. Oh, so you are not neutral. You are like not neutral. Uh, no, no, and that, you're that, you're well, you're the dagger that we need. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. Although I'll tell you, sometimes you know a family member will have a concern, bring it to us, and as much as we may say, "Oh, that sounds like wow, we ought to help with that." First thing we're going to do is go talk to the resident if the resident can speak or try to determine what the resident would have wanted. And we're going to do what the resident says. So so the family member may say, oh, the food is horrible. The resident may say, eh, you know, I know I complain about it to my daughter, but in reality, it's pretty good. So don't do anything. So that at that point, we have to go back to the daughter and say, if you want to continue, here's some tips and things you can do. But because the resident doesn't see it as a problem, we're not going to be able to help you other than give you tips and hints. And Food is probably the least of, of most people's concern. It's the physical well-being of somebody. The other day, as I mentioned, I was talking to somebody who had worked through her master's degree up in Boston in a long-term care facility managing aids and helping them and doing whatnot. And she was so incensed with the inability for a particular facility to not make sure that their residents were safe. And I don't mean safe in falling or tripping, but safe in healthcare, the amount of wounds, the pressure wounds that were there. And when somebody ran out of money, how they were put in the different unit that wasn't as good and sort of, you know, I called it locked away and the keys thrown away. And they, she said they sat there in wheelchairs drooling and sort of humped over. And all she wanted to do is go in and you know, put pillows to prop them up so they didn't look like they were in pain. And she was told she couldn't do that versus those that had the money that were in the fancier nursing component of the facility. And that's so sad to hear because you know as well as I do that something that seems as simple as a pressure wound can be a death sentence for so many people. Absolutely. We don't even know. We, we're not typically exposed to those things in normal, I would say, you know, in quotes, in normal life, right? This is a part of life that I think everybody's knowledgeable that there are these buildings that people go to when they're older or sick or whatever called nursing homes. But when they walk in and they're exposed to it for the first time, their thought is, well, I'm not the first person. So if I'm seeing something that's funny, I maybe shouldn't say anything because all these other families are coming in and they're seeing the same things. And the staff that work here seem to care. So how bad can it be, really? You know, what I don't see, I'll protect my heart and my head and just ignore it. And I don't think it's intentional. No, no. We don't want to admit that something's happening. Exactly. It hurts. That's where 
having that open conversation, feeling like you can ask questions. And that's where many people turn to the ombudsman. Although I will tell you that the number of times I've run into somebody and they've said, Carol, what do you do? And I will tell them and, you know, I work and try to resolve problems that nursing home residents have nine times out of 10. Well, how come I didn't know about you when my mother was in the nursing home? And I'm like, oh, I just want to, you know, hit my head because we try not to be a secret. I mean, every nursing home is required to have information posted somewhere visible in the building that's well it's not so visible because i looked at those at the place that my parents were at originally we took them out of and i found it in the back office area that the regular family doesn't visit through yeah and i did look into an ombudsman program because mom had eight stitches in her head and two cracked ribs and had lost 60 pounds and my parents just as many parents are were proud if somebody like you had gone to them and they didn't know you yeah they would likely say Oh, don't worry. I'm fine, dear. Right. You know, I, that's okay. And that makes the whole ombudsman program very difficult to be an advocate for the resident, correct? It does. And that's one of the reasons why, number one, the notice should have been someplace else. But it's also difficult because people look at the word and they're like, I don't recognize that word. You know, the word isn't advocate. The word is ombudsman. So that's on one side. The other side and It's is, a big fancy poster that looks like it's official and online. You know, it's like the, you know, ADA stuff. And then are we part of the nursing home? So one of the things... Are you the do, bad guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the things we try to do is we try to make sure that, you know, that we're meeting the family members, we're meeting the residents, and that we're in the buildings often enough that people know that we are not affiliated with the nursing home. Um, that we, but but that we are also not affiliated with the licensing, so okay. we don't we don't come in, we don't lift up the sheets and say, how's you know is your wound getting better? Um, we we don't look at the medical records to say have you lost weight? Um, well, now people bring those complaints to us, and if we can. Um, work with the home to get them fixed. That's great. If we can't, then we're going to be one of the first people saying to the family or the resident, um, your next step is to bring in the licensing people, to bring in what we, we call them the state, to bring the state right. in um, because the state has a stick. Um, the ombudsman program doesn't have a stick, but we are trying to resolve things at the lowest possible level. So, and and our goal is to resolve it the way the resident wants it resolved. So almost like a mediator when you think about it, correct? It is in, in some instances, although a mediator is gonna be neutral. Right. And we're gonna not be neutral. Now, one of the things that's very important about the ombudsman program is that we utilize volunteers. And those volunteers go into buildings on a weekly or or every two week basis. And so they get to know the residents and the families that are visiting when they're there and the staff so that they know, oh, well, when, you know, Mrs. Smith has a problem, the head of dietary or the head of housekeeping or the admissions person is the person we need to take her to, to try to resolve it. And we, we also try to as much as possible, have the resident be the one that's speaking. So that it's not just, oh, now what's your problem? Now we're going to go run, fix it, and we'll come back and tell you. That's difficult when you've got somebody who has dementia or some other sort of yes. cognitive impairment. Yes. And I'm going to guess that, because like I said, I, I looked into the ombudsman support down in Florida where my parents were and couldn't get this, at least what I was educated on here was that, again, you were the advocate for the individual, the resident, which was fine, and that they couldn't make any recommendations that a doctor hadn't already signed off on and agreed with. So if there was something that needed to be done that wasn't being done, the doctor would have to say, well, that's correct, that hasn't been done. So it was, it was interesting to hear that there was a little bit of a, what I call sort of a, a wall that I felt like I had to go through with. And what 
if what I'm going to recommend to anybody is if you feel that you can't get some support or you can't get a response from a nursing care or a care facility, move them. Do not wait because by the time that you're able to do that, and these are volunteers that are out there that have their, their head and their heart in the right place. And there's only so many volunteers per state to go along. And I'm going to guess that you are probably not the most loved person when you walk through the door of a care facility. <laughs> Yeah. You're like you're like the, the the dastardly person that comes in that they don't want. <laughs> I will tell you that when my father moved into a nursing home, now this has been 20 years ago, but when he moved in, we did not tell him that I was the state ombudsman. And they found out because one day he mentioned that his daughter worked for the state. So they assumed that I was a surveyor who would come in. So they actually were more interested when they found out that I was the state ombudsman <laughs> than just a surveyor because so anyway. It, Your dad it, probably it, got better care as a result well, so that they didn't, you know, you know. I will admit that the administrator made a beeline when they found out I was in the building. Yeah, um, I bet. The cops have entered the room. <laughs> well, but in that particular facility, and it was a fairly good, I mean, it was a fair, they were, attentive to his to my dad's needs his body was not well but his mind was perfect but he had uh, you know a couple of instances where i like had taken a beer into him he usually had a beer every day and they called me on that and said you don't need to sneak the beer in because i had it in a brown bag i mean you weren't walking through the front door with a six <laughs> they came in while he was drinking it and they said oh does he like beer well we can you know, we'll supply the beer and put it in the refrigerator. Well, they were bringing it to his room. His roommate was an alcoholic. Oh, not good. Um, okay. And so my dad was the one who said to the staff, this doesn't work. So, so they started bringing it to him with his dinner in a covered cup. Like a mug. Yeah, like a paper cup, coffee cup, right? Yeah. That was just perfect. Yeah. Because the next thing that happened was... My dad watched his roommate go over, open up a drawer, blow his nose and my dad's uh, socks Ooh. and put them back in. And that was after my dad noticed that his aqua velva was disappearing at a really high rate. Wow. So my brother actually went in and fixed it so that my dad had to kind of push a lever down so that the drawer would open because the roommate couldn't figure that out how to open it if when there was something, you know, kind of stuck there. My dad was like, I'm, I'm out of here, you know. <laughs> I'd be running out the door with him. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, did you tell any of my brothers that you're going to leave the nursing home? And he's like, well, no. I said, well, I think we need to have a family meeting here. But it ended up great. My dad moved in with one of my brothers and lived there for five years. I want to sort of take a step back, though, because 20 years ago, and my grandmother was in a nursing home that was more than 20 years ago, but I remember it being a fairly nice looking place. I have pictures of what the bathroom wallpaper looked like, and the smells were not bad back then, And but her room was tiny, and she always smiled and had the sunlight coming behind her in the window, and she always seemed to have like this glow about her when we saw her. But I was 10 years old, so that was then, and this is this is now. And there's been such a growth in the number of care facilities that are out there and the investment in out the venture capitalists and what's going on out there. What are the biggest problems that you're starting to see that are coming down the pike or that have sort of hit us as this growth in one aging population and a different type of owner investor is happening in the healthcare system or the aging care system? Well, we continue to see people being discharged from facilities because, well, for lots of different reasons, but mostly because of the behaviors, mm -hmm. the, the way that residents communicate. So if someone's yelling or screaming or hitting facilities, their first reaction is, well, we need to move them because we can't, we can't care for them. E even though in their uh, brochure and on their website, they say, we're a memory care unit. We specialize in taking people with dementia. And yet, if you don't follow the plan, you know, if you're not... If you're not quiet and polite and you say yeah, that, now we had that with my mom because 
Yeah. She was she she had dementia, not advanced dementia in the care facility, but there was another New Yorker. She's Connecticut, born and brought up in Connecticut, but native, you know, sort of New York area. And we we tend to like to we like our controversial battles at times yeah. in our conversations. And she loved another fellow that was there at the table and the two of them would sort of like banter back and forth and I could see the fun that they were having. And they tried to separate my mom and dad who had been married for 64 years. That would have killed them both. Yeah. Plus, you know, she was having other, she was not being cared for properly there. I said, no, that's not going to happen. And I had snuck into the lock, I called the lockdown ward and, and saw what they did. You know, basically people drugged up and, and sitting there with, you know, drooling out. And it's easy to take care of people when they're on, a, you know, a sleeping pill or, yes. or Benadryl, which was an easy over-the-counter that nobody really knew about. It was another thing. I've heard of opioids now being used too. Yeah. But they removed this guy. And we never heard from him again. See, and, that, and it broke my heart. That is just so sad. That the one one of the projects that Consumer Voice has been working on, along with the federal government, the federal government maybe eight years ago started an effort to reduce the use of antipsychotic medication, so that residents were not chemically medicated, so that they just sat in their chair and didn't move or didn't talk or didn't do anything. Right. Um, and so Consumer Voice has been working the last three years on a project educating residents and family members about the use of antipsychotics. And because we, in fact, find that there are some families who are like, oh, no, dad's, you know, becoming combative. So let's, you know, they're going to kick him out. So we need to medicate him so that he doesn't get moved out. Yeah. Do- dope him up and just let him yeah. sit there like There's a zombie. Yeah. One you know, the nursing home at that point is the one saying, sorry, we we can't give him that medication. That medication is not good for people that have dementia. I mean, this whole idea of people when they have dementia, um, whether they're just polite and just have forgotten things and repeat things over and over and over, that's one thing. Another is the, the person who's always trying to sneak out of the building. Who's agitated, yep. Mm-hmm. One who yeah becomes agitated and hits people, and the one who's screaming curse words that nobody even knew that they knew. Um, <laughs> the issue here, though, is is that there is a lot of educational material out there for staff to know how to handle people. And part of the problem here is, is that everybody's different. There's not a one size fits all. Here's how we're going to take care of all people with dementia. Every person presents differently, just like what you were saying about your parents. Your mom enjoyed that verbal. She liked the banter back and forth. And yeah, and there were there were times even when we bought a house and we moved mom and dad back into or their own home with AIDS that she got, you know, she got verbally combative when an aide just wanted to move too fast or didn't understand that she was uncomfortable and she didn't know what to do and she was hurting. So the F-bomb came out once or twice, which I'd never heard my mom saying. <laughs> and it actually came out of my dad once. And my lead aide had actually called me and said, Nancy, your father said, you know, gave me the F-bomb. And I'm like, what? You know, my dad would always say that my mom told him how to curse. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, but even still, I mean, those, I agree with you. Those are, so there's some other things. Now, I want to sort of take another turn on this in that I recently heard that the average number of falls in a care facility is somewhere between 30 to 60 falls per month. And I think that probably has to do with the on the number of residents in a facility. Hopefully it's not just a small number if you've got, you know, 10 people in a in a private care facility and they're falling 60 times a day, you know, that's that's kind of ridiculous in a month. But having the ability to know what's going on is difficult when a resident falls and we don't know about it. And I'll share a story that somebody told me about not too long ago. And they said, well, we moved dad into a care facility and he's happy and he's feeling good, but he fell the other day and it took four hours for somebody to come and respond. And she said, well, I like the facility, I like the people, but we're going to have to have a conversation with management. And I almost lost it laughing hysterically. And I mean, not to, to laugh at her, but the stitches in my side were just too much to say, like, sweetie, I'm sorry, but um, not to be rude that ship has sailed unless you're ready to move them again. People have to understand that once somebody's in there, they kind of lose power yeah. in what goes on from day to well, day. 
And that's why continuing to visit, that's why figuring out who's the right person to talk to when you have a concern is so important. The Ombudsman Program gets a lot of phone calls from families saying, here's what's happened. I mean, especially in a situation like that, if I got a call and somebody said somebody fell and they laid there for four hours, I'd be saying, here's the phone number for the abuse and neglect hotline. So even though my parent might be in a care facility, I can call the adult protective services on them? It depends on your state. Okay. <laughs> in Missouri, I, I'm for, I live in uh, Jefferson City, Missouri. We have one phone number and the people that answer it either give it to adult protective services or they give it to the nursing home licensure people. The the phone number goes there and the person answering the phone takes down the information and then they give it to whoever is the right organization. And the licensing may do another do another investigation as well as, you know, the protective services to make sure that people are safe. Adult protective services would get involved in most states if the perpetrator was someone outside of, if it was a visitor who did something or a staff if it's member. financial exploitation, something like a fall. I mean, okay, are you and I going to fall in the next month? We certainly could. If we lived in a nursing home, would could we fall? Absolutely. There's. It's not like somebody's running around right next to every resident going, sure. okay, don't fall, don't fall. So we know people are going to fall. What we expect of the nursing home is that they would have done an assessment to say, is Nancy someone who potentially could fall? And if so, is it right after a meal? Is it when she tries to get up in the middle of the night? I mean, we're going to we're gonna have done some, hopefully, and over time learn, oh, she fell. Okay, let's, let's look. We ha- she's never fallen. And as long as she's not in the hospital and she's safe and hasn't hurt her head. And, and- if somebody's fallen and nobody's checked on her for several hours, or if they find her, find that she's fallen and maybe your arm is cut and there's a little bit of bleeding, well, has somebody made sure that her arm's not broken? I mean, there, there's going to be some expectation and families have every right during any time, but, but especially during care plan meetings to be asking, you know, I'm visiting my mom three times a week. She looks like she's doing good, but I noticed this new Band-Aid. What's that from? Oh, well, that's from a fall. Oh, well, how come you didn't call me? About how come nobody told me, right? Yeah. Well, number one, she had this little cut, didn't appear to be hurt. We didn't think it was a big enough deal. Now, then the family can say, you know what? To me, that's a big, that's a big deal. So if you'll let me know, just like I would hope you would let me know if two meals in a row, mom's not eating like she used to. Yeah, we had that too. Or she's refusing to take her medication. I mean, anytime there's a decline, we would hope that the nursing home would say something. But those care plan meetings can be an opportunity for families to ask questions. Now, the issue there is, is that many, many, many facilities schedule care plan meetings at times that's not convenient for families. They don't always have the right staff in the meeting. They don't have the nurse aide that provides the most care, that knows the resident the best. And they're 15 minutes long. So at some point, the family may have to say, I need 45 minutes to an hour and this is what we're going on. Yeah. I want to do something in addition to this little tidbit of time. And that's within uh, that's within their rights. And that's where we have many ombudsmen that sit in on care plan meetings because mm-hmm. either the resident or the family has asked us to. But we do a lot of education. You know, here's what a care plan meeting is for. Here's what the plan should and could look like. Here's the information especially if you've got someone with dementia living in a nursing home, who's going to tell the home, here's how mom liked things. Here's, you know, that's the family. So walking in with a sheet of paper that says, here's the kind of music she likes. Here's the kind of TV she likes. Here's the kind of snacks that she likes. She doesn't eat breakfast. You know, she only wants coffee. I mean, those kind of routine daily things absolutely needs to be shared. So let me let me ask you about the care plan because more and more residents as I or people as I see when they do go into these facilities 
are going into first a continued care scenario. So they may pay in and they start at what's termed independent care. And a lot of times, without necessarily the family get being involved, they want to stay there with a private aid that's been brought in or somebody else because it's that's where their friends are and there's a certain level of comfort. And I totally get that. But, and I say but purposely, because... As I'd always been told, and this is where we got into a little bit of trouble, that was independent care, and therefore they had no involvement in the daily well-being of the resident. So it's like an apartment, three meals a day. Yet, there were things like, and, and I'm explaining our scenario because that's the one I know in my head and what we went through. You know, mom decided that she, well, she was depressed. You know, she wasn't coming out of the room. She mi- wouldn't miss three meals a day. And they would charge us to walk a meal that we've already paid for down the hall. And it was a well, one of the little cleaning ladies who pulled me aside. And I would come down from Connecticut to visit. And she said, Miss Nancy, you know, we know that you care. We know that you're not here, but we can tell when you're here that you care a lot. And you need to know what's going on, that we've been told that your mother is not to have her meal walk down to her if she won't come to the dining room. So she was starving. And I was told, this is not unusual because I've heard this from others, when somebody's meal is walked down to them, especially an older person who may have dementia or just not feeling well, the meal may stay in the refrigerator in the room and it goes bad and then they may eat it later on and therefore the food has gone bad so they could get sick. Independent care is not, it's not an apartment, although that's what they say it is. There's still some oversight. There's still medication management. So to have no care plan or no discussion about it or no revealing of, in our case, I couldn't get a hold of medical records, other, other, although there were medical procedures that were being done and tests that were being done when medication was being managed. When we left, it was all of a sudden the medical records disappeared. The doctor was supposed to have them. They didn't have them. Nurse Ratchet didn't have it. And Tweedledum didn't have it. That was the head of the facility. And the list went on, and the clueless doctor who well, was a PA who had such a bad case of uh, stuttering that he couldn't get a word out in 15 minutes. It was just amazing the quality of care that was at considered you know, one of the better care facilities. Oh, wow. So it's, it, it, this is really important that families need to know about that independent care does not mean they're just given an apartment and no oversight, if I'm correct, right? That's right. I mean, we call them typically, I think you're talking like an assisted living. Right. Where there's, you know, assist, you can go to assisted, you can, you know, independent, assisted, nursing, memory, whatever it is later on. So it's a continued care process. So, so the, the difficulty here is that, or, or the, uh, the good and bad news is in, in a nursing home setting, there are federal requirements. So the federal guidelines are what you have to do. And then the state maybe has added a few things. For assisted living and independent living, I mean, you know, when, when it's not a nursing home, there is no federal guidance. So it's completely left up to the state. So if the state doesn't have regulations that say, here's what people have to do, if they don't require care plans, most states require someone with some education or knowledge to run the place, to be the administrator or manager. And you have to have a certain license to be able to pass medications. And you still have a nurse on on staff. There's but, that. But anything else, your rights as a resident differ from state to state from some that are just the same rights as if you lived in a nursing home to no rights because they're not not any that have been written into state law. So how do you find out what those rules and regulations are based on the license of the facility? Where, where do we find them in the states? One way would be to ask the ombudsman okay. in that state. They're going to know what the difference is, and they can point you to the statute or the law or the regulation that has been written. They're going to be able to tell you that the um, nursing or the, the building, the, the whoever runs the building, ought to be able to tell you that if you walk into an assisted living and you would say, where can I find information about the law? There are... Oh, well, that's a red flag for you. Like you're going to be calling, I call the PETA the pain in the you know what, and then you may not get any care at all. Right. I'm just saying that, I mean, you asked, I'm just saying that I did ask. (laughs) It should be a source, uh, whether you want to believe it or not. 
And then there are, in many states, there are citizen advocacy groups that are made up of people who who had an experience and said, you know, this could be better. And I want to work with people to make things better. And those groups also know the, the difference. Now, there are places like... Um, like the, the state area on aging. Well, they'll probably know a lot about what's going on as well. Area agency on aging. And many of the area agencies on aging are going to turn the question over to the ombudsman, which is in many states, the ombudsman program is housed in the area agency. Okay. Like Florida, it's not because in Florida, all of the ombudsmen are part of state government. Okay. So we call that a centralized ombudsman program that everybody works together and is paid for out it's of a big state, state yep. funding. Much of that money is federal money that's come down because every state is required by the federal government to have an ombudsman program. And one thing I want to mention is in addition to responding to a complaint or providing technical assistance to a resident or family on how to fix something, in addition to that one-on-one work, ombudsman programs also do systemic work. It could be something in the state law that needs to be changed or something in the regulations of the licensing agency or the Medicaid program. And so the ombudsman has a responsibility to be the voice of the resident to go to those organizations and say, or what's being done doesn't match with what you're saying is part of the law, or you're changing something and this is how it's going to affect people who live in nursing homes. So that advocacy work, that systems advocacy work is kind of the hidden work that the ombudsman, and mostly it's the state ombudsman who is doing that work because the state ombudsman obviously doesn't, I mean, there's thousands of facilities. I mean, there's 14,000 nursing homes and probably four times that many assisted living across the country and 53 people can't do that. And that's where they rely on local staff and volunteers to be the ones that are going in and handling the one-on-one and well, the one-on-one complaints and issues, but also those people can do systemic work within a a nursing home. If 10 people are complaining about the food... Then there's something else that's going on. It's a habitual problem. Yep. If 10 people are worried that the activities aren't appropriate or that there are no activities, well, then we need to have a conversation about, you know, this is not a warehouse. We are not just bringing people in and putting them in a chair and waiting for them to like keel over and take their last breath. Yeah, yeah. waiting for the next meal to happen. I mean, so, yeah. This is really interesting. I, I did not understand or did not realize that the ombudsman had more to do with just the quality of life as well as thinking about the the welfare and safety of individuals, because that's, I think, what we typically think about first. And the activities and the food, you know, the food may not be perfect, but, you know, the activities, well, you know, and uh, and it is important. Yeah. Well, quality of life got to be as important as quality of care. Yes, I want the right medicine at the right time, and I want to be turned so that I don't get a pressure ulcer, and I want someone to recognize when my hearing goes bad, or I want all that. I also, I want to live. I want to have things to look forward to. I want to to see my grandchildren. I want to go outside whenever I want, have fresh air, or I want, you know, to be pushed in a wheelchair up to where I can watch the rabbit (laughs) or the more likely the squirrel who's jumping up into the plant, eating the flowers. And everybody's like, no, you know, I want that. I want to know what the news is. I want to know what the latest book is. I want to go to a movie. I want to order pizza. I mean, I'm not dead. It's not over till it's over. Yeah, there was another facility that we moved dad, my dead mom out, you know, into after this, this one, this horrific one. And it was interesting because it was a very different type of environment. It was pure independent. We had our own aides that we brought in, but they did make sure that There was a raised garden for a group of ladies who really loved to garden. And we would go out and when I was there and we'd walk around and we'd see the flowers and comment about the work that was being done. Another woman loved to play the piano and she would be there, you know, after after mealtimes and she'd pay at the baby grand and go forward for that. And there were bingo games Mm -hmm. and there was a free ice cream machine that my dad, oh, my God, I think he was going to turn. 
I think he was going to turn into an ice cream <laughs> machine himself by the end of that time. <laughs> That's on my list of you've got, you got to have an ice cream machine. And <laughs> I'm looking for a nursing home. It's going to be got to have an ice cream machine. Well, you know, one of the things that I think we're going to forget this pretty quickly, because I think we kind of already have, but that feeling during the COVID pandemic, when we couldn't go anywhere, when we couldn't see friends, when we couldn't, no restaurants were open, maybe, you know, our Walmart had shortened hours and limited the number of people that were in the building and other places were closed. We went nuts. We said, no, 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 no. And so for many of us, it was still nice enough to go outside. We could talk to our neighbors. Right. Um, we could get in the car and at least drive. Um, <laughs> but you think that just those few weeks when we couldn't do anything and we went nuts, think of that if you're in a nursing home and that is your every day. That is every day. I'm not going to get to see people. I'm not going to get to do something I like, like putting my hands in dirt. I don't get to go sit out on the front porch. I don't get to have a cigarette. I don't get to have my beer or my cupcake. My God, you're diabetic. And, oh, well, sorry, you can't, if you're diabetic, you can't have any sugar. Well, excuse me, call the ombudsman. We're going to come in and we're going to say, okay, we're not going to. There's a way to manage everything well, right? Yeah. Well, when you're an ombudsman, sometimes you have to advocate mm -hmm. for things that you know are not in the person's best interest. But if they understand the consequences, then we're going to push for it. And so, yeah, we may say, let's not, you know, let's not really push for ice cream, all three meals with, you know, sprinkles and whipped cream and all that. Let's go, let's go every other day. You know, let's, you know, let's check, make sure there's sugars being checked. But we're going to be there pushing, saying, you want to, go outside when it's 12 degrees bundle you up and do it this is not jail right this is right. this is not adult jail and and that's important so yeah. that's critical I, you know i want to come back to a question that i asked earlier was in i, I call it the olden days when we called a grammy grammy was in the nursing care facility the many of those facilities or most of them were owned by family they were family operations in days gone by or the family operation was a company, but it, there were small organizations or family-owned businesses that ran these, and it was a different kind of level of, of care that went into a generation. There were also not as many of people who were in their 90s back then, too, or even in their 80s. As big business comes in, up north, and, and I don't see it as much here, but certainly up north where we were, I saw the, the incredible growth of these facilities and these institutions, I'll call them, sprouting up like mushrooms on a wet day. And I always looked at them and down the road as being the, the future slums of America because there's only so many people that are going in there. It's not, a large, it's not as large of a population of people who are actually going into these facilities as we think. So it's not automatic, you know, please, if you're listening and you're considering this for yourself or your, for your parents, know that this is not the norm. It's not something that you have to do. It's something that may be easier for you and better for your parents, but it's not an automatic deal where you have to go to a care facility or you have to go to a nursing home. It's an option that you have. So consider all the options that you have and the finances and the emotional well-being being of yourself as a caregiver, because you can burn out, and we've done shows on that, and also the emotional health and well-being of a parent or an aging relative that you're caring for. That's, that's critical. But as these facilities are run now more and more by big public companies, and there are some that have gotten in some really hot water lately that are major lawsuits, what are the changes that you're seeing from the ombudsman side that have taken a shift in say you know the last number of years or have have there is it sort of been status quo there's you know the you know what hits the fan and it's just always going to be that way you don't have to be politically correct one of the major differences is when i first started um in 1989 as the state ombudsman we did know who the owner was i mean the the, the, the local people knew the owner and they could pick up the phone and talk to him or her. Or if it was, you know, maybe somebody owned five or 10 facilities, 
they at least had a name and a phone number and could talk consistently to the same person. As the corporations got bigger and bigger and multi-state and national, being able to find someone to talk to, to say, this particular nursing home says that this is a corporate policy and that's why they're doing what they're doing. We believe that it's against the rights of residents for them to do that policy, but they're saying it's corporate. So now it's harder and harder to find who's the right person at that level to try to say, why hmm. Why is this nursing home saying that this is a corporate policy and is it, and could we have a copy of it because we want to have a conversation with you to say this isn't working. Or is it purely financial or are you really concerned about the welfare of your well, residents? Exactly. That's the other issue. And that's really the consumer voice side of things, right? which is how much money is now being funneled or siphoned off to go to these different management companies before the money gets down to that nurse aide. Very little. That laundry person, the dietary staff, the people who are actually providing care and services to the to the resident. They're not happy and treated well. It's just like anything, right? It's like it's like your food server at a restaurant. Well, if you're if you're mean to them, well, you better hope that they're not going to spit in your food. <laughs> exactly. And I'll tell you if you ask people why they chose the home that they chose, most of the time, it's going to be because of location. It's convenient for my family and friends mm. to visit. And so the thought of moving in many parts of the country, moving to a new home is a 30 mile, 60 mile effort. So am I better off being here in a place I'm not happy, but my family can visit? Or do I move an hour away, which might be better or not? And my family now, instead of coming every day, is only going to come twice a week. Right. And if gas prices keep going up, maybe they only come once every two weeks. What's the trade-off we have to deal with? And the, the thing, though, is that if you have a problem with a facility and you're not getting a response, and the ombudsman is doing their best but also not getting a response, there are a couple of things you can do. You can go to the state licensing authority and start to have your voice heard. I would be a, a total advocate to go to the state attorney general's office, let them know, go to your local media, squeak, squawk, what, whatever it is. Legislators, let them know what's going on. And the other thing is I totally get the fact that this is exhausting. You're trying to take care of somebody that you love. You're trying to do the best yep. for them. And now you're fighting two battles, you know, really three battles. One to make sure mom and dad are safe and well taken care of and not not passing before they need to or before their, their time is up. Two, you're battling management. It may be the big facility that owns the, you know, it's the corporate policy and the little people, for lack of better description, who really want to be there to do what's right. Because most people in these facilities, the aides, the, the CNAs, and the hands-on staff, I'm not saying the big staff always, but the hands-on staff, really get frustrated that corporate tells them they can't do certain things. And you may have one aide for 15 to 20 people. Imagine how much really gets done when it's, when it's important. Yeah, well, we learned a valuable lesson during the pandemic when families were not allowed in, that staff all of a sudden found, oh my gosh, there is so much work that I'm not getting done. I didn't realize, I mean, I knew I saw families doing things, but I had no idea that that, that would add another three hours to what I need to be doing because the family wasn't there to talk to the resident, to wash their face, to comb them, to take them to the bathroom, to feed them, to entertain them. I mean, that's, I think, was a shock to many facilities that, oh my gosh, we need the family members in there. As much as they thought we got in the way, we were really an asset to them in, in so many ways. And yeah, we, we can become the eyes and the ears. It's sometimes how you bring the the complaint forward to get what you need. And hopefully when you turn around. That's another good aspect of the ombudsman program is that many people live in a different state than where their loved one lives. The ombudsman program, be happy to go have a conversation with mom or dad, see how they're doing. Just sort of a, a welfare check, really, to see if mom and dad are safe and okay. Yep. Yeah. I mean, people can 
can go on the website. You just type in LTC Ombudsman, O-M-B-U-D-S-M-A-N, Long-Term Care Ombudsman, and our website will come up somewhere. I'll put all the notes in the show notes plus anything else that we're going on here. They can find their local nursing, find their local ombudsman in the map that we have on our homepage. You know, the other thing I'm, I'm going to add before we wrap up here is that, and this is a, this is a little longer show than, than most, but I think it's important that we're here having this discussion and for people to know about the resources. But there's so much support out there for us. We just need to know how to find it. And that's critical. But there is also a, most ombudsmen are volunteers per the, for, for many of the states as well, aren't they? I mean, yeah. that's what I understand. So yeah. you have to be cognizant of the fact that these are people who are there trying to do what's right for what's in their heart and what's in their head and what's in their moral strength and fortitude. And just be be aware of that. And if you can support them as well, just to make things a little easier they're not going to be there to just sort of do a welfare check once a week on mom and dad if you live in another state. That's just, that's not possible, you know, especially in large states like Florida or California or even Texas that are that are out there. So you think about that. But we're very thankful to have ombudsman program even available in in this country. So thank you very much for, for what, you, what you do. And You are welcome. And just even the volunteers, they go through 36 hours of training before they're let loose into a facility. So these are not, I mean, they're not just off the street. These are people who have been trained to have conversations, to bring issues up to management, to not back down. And if they, you know, if something happens, they've got staff people that are there that can come in and and help with issues. So Nancy, I can't thank you enough for having me on today. And I just uh, hope that again, there's been at least one little nugget of information that someone out there has gone, Oh, that's helpful. I'm going to put a whole lot of resources out there for, for this for the Ombudsman program and Consumer Voice because this is an important resource that we all need to know about. And if anybody out there is interested in learning to become an Ombudsman themselves, we can certainly put the link in the show notes because this is, you know, if you've ever been in this role yourself and you've seen it as exhausting as it may be after somebody has left, because I say, you know, in my own stories and things that I share and do with clients as well as I say, just because somebody has died doesn't mean your job is done. It's, I call it the afterlife job. And I don't mean afterlife in, in the clouds or wherever, like, you know, woo is. Yes, you need to have your... <laughs> Carol just put on her hard hat. And I think you have to know that there are now actually hard hats in the shape of cowboy hats and they're pink. <laughs> So I think you need one of those. (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) So thank you so much, Carol. This has been such a delight and a pleasure. And as I say, you know, the show notes will include all sorts of hot links that you can use and resources that will be available to you too. And don't forget the ombudsman is there for you and your parents. Do not overlook those resources. They're excellent. Thank you very much, Carol. Thank you. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Caremanity LLC.